Welcome into a new week and a new episode of Night Shift, episode 25. Your host, Kyle Gamard and Mike Stubbs. You can uh, catch all the episodes of previous uh, Night Shifts uh, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, as well as up at globalnews.ca and 980 CFPL. Kyle Grimard at Kyle, G-R-I-M-A-R-D, at Stubbs980 with two Bs. And, you know, Mike, we've been doing this show this year so far, and, you know, we've been spoiled a little bit. It's been win after win after win after win, and now the Knights in a little bit of adversity, a couple losses over the weekend, but uh, some tough ones uh, coming against the Guelph Storm and the Windsor Spitfires. Uh, we have a couple guest hosts on the show, but uh, Mike, it was a weekend full of, you know, London trying to figure things out. Is it more of London trying to figure things out or maybe the opposition's just adjusting and upping their game? I look back at the Guelph game and it, actually Friday night was a really interesting night in the Ontario Hockey League. Right after the trade deadline, sometimes teams who trade away top players for younger players go through this little period of oh you don't think we can win do you well we'll show you and that happened in kingston where the kingston frontenacs beat the sarnia sting five to three it happened in ottawa where hamilton beat ottawa four to three and it happened in london where the guelph storm beat the knights six to three so sure i mean Guys are going into some different roles. The Knights are still trying to work out their power play, which hasn't been as potent as it had been earlier in the year. And all of these things will come, obviously, but it takes a transition. And then you go back to the end of three games in two and a half days, and all of a sudden you can count it up. One, two, three losses in a row. And now the Knights go to Kitchener, where the Rangers just ended a seven-game losing streak in Saginaw <laughs> on Sunday night. They will be hungry. They will be thinking, all right, we've got things turned around. And so the Knights go into a difficult atmosphere. And we can talk about that game a little later on. But wanted to get your thoughts on the game against Guelph. What is it with the Storm being able to play the Knights as tight as they have been? The, the last two games they played, both at Budweiser Gardens, the Storm make life tough. Oh, and watching back and and going through the game, you have to credit the coaching staff of the Guelph storm for coming up with a game plan. You know, that coaching staff has been around for a bit. They understand I mean, they played a lot of games against the London in London or in Guelph, and they know how the hunters operate and they have constructed a very good game plan against them for some time. And we, we can look back to a playoff series a few years ago when the likes of players of Evan Bouchard and Connor McMichael and Liam foodie. And on the other side, you had Nick Suzuki and, you know, that group over there who, when they loaded up and went on a run, but you know, it's, it, it's just one of those things. It's like two coaches in the NFL who play each other constantly. One thing, uh, you know, as, as a Detroit lions, uh, you know, I, we have people who are Lions fans, people who are Vikings fans who just played in the NFL playoffs, but in division games are always so much tighter because the coaching staffs know each other's tendencies so well that often they make adjustments according to the team that they play versus when London goes out and plays a team, maybe in the Eastern conference, they're not as familiar with one another and they're more focused on teams in their division and in their conference. And I think with Guelph and London, there's so much familiarity there. So I give a lot of credit to the coaching staff, but also to the players for buying in because Guelph is one of those teams that wasn't adding players at the deadline. And I think a lot of those players still on that roster saying, Whoa, 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 we, we have a lot to prove. We could still compete and we're a good hockey team and they're hard 
working hockey team. And I think that's kind of what, what caught London is you can have as much talent in the world and both teams have it. But when London added and Guelph not adding, Guelph went out of the way and they worked hard. I could count four of the six goals specifically off of four checking and hustle alone, awarded them second opportunities, allowed them to get pucks in them. Yep. And a breakdown or two in the defensive zone early in the third. There was a goal right away in the first minute. There was a goal about two and a half minutes later. And next thing you know, Guelph turns a 2-1 deficit into a 3-2 lead and or a 3-2 deficit into a 4-3 lead. So that's kind of the way that things worked out on Friday night. And you're right. I mean, it's it's two styles clashing and the Knights see the storm again and they see them in Guelph three times this year. So this will be interesting to see how things go in that realm. But yeah, it's you don't think we can. We'll show you. And then there was a marquee matchup on Sunday afternoon. And Kyle, it went to the Windsor Spitfires. And I think if we break this one down, I love when teams actually go through spots like the Knights are in right now where you hit a little adversity and you've got to figure it out. There have been a couple of times over the last three games where that little extra pass has been there when maybe before that you would have shot. You look at a goal that Londoner Brett Harrison scored. He found it in the slot. He had guys he could throw it to. No, he threw it at the net. This guy's a shooter and it goes in. And that Started Windsor off. I think the Knights will look back at the first period and say there were a couple of penalties that made it tough on them, especially the one that gave Guelph a five on three. But this was also a really good lesson for some young players on the Knights side because Windsor scored playoff goals yesterday where Brett Harrison finds the puck, shoots, and it's in. Where you take advantage seven seconds into a five on three and where a little bobble in center ice allows Matt Maggio to pick up a puck, go in on a breakaway, and score. All of those together, all of those moments, probably totaled 15 seconds of play, but they made the difference in the game because the Knights 5-on-5 played the Winter Spitfires really well. Joey Costanza was good in net, but the Knights won a lot of face-offs. Look at Sean McGurn's performance yesterday. Oh my gosh, Sean McGurn, he was my hungriest night on our After the Buzzer show. Sean McGurn took 25 face-offs on Sunday afternoon against Windsor of those 25, he won 18 of them. He went 18 and seven on the draw. He took almost twice as many face-offs as the next London night, which was rookie Jacob Julian. So McGurn is clearly that guy. He had a fantastic game, but you're so right though. And and I was thinking about a little bit more, Mike, and, and you could tell me if I'm on the right page here, but the way Windsor played on Sunday reminded me a lot of how Tampa Bay plays in the national hockey league where yes, they've got all the talent in the world and they can run you out of the building on any given night, but in games where they don't necessarily bring their best. And I'm not saying they didn't bring their best, but they, if you look at the shots on goal, London had 40 plus shots on net. I think Windsor had 22 or 23, but they took advantage and capitalized on the opposition's mistakes. And like you said, a breakup of the neutral zone leading to Matthew Maggio, a five on three executed perfectly a face-off one over to Harrison over to right into the back of the net and they can just capitalize and you give them an inch and they absolutely make you pay for it. it you see where I'm going with that one I absolutely do and I totally agree that's the style that Windsor would like to play I think that's the style any team would like to play where even if like you say you're being outshot in the game even if five on five you could say the possession tilted toward the other team it tilted toward the London Knights yesterday 
they still had an opportunity not just to win the game, but to crack down and and certainly take advantage of any kind of mistakes. So, no, that's that's a great comparison. And the Windsor Spitfires are going to be a tough team the rest of the way. Sarnia is going to be a tough team the rest of the way. And the Knights are going to run into both of those teams a lot down the stretch, which is fun. So now we get to see what the next chapter looks like when the two teams meet up, because I think by then – the Knights will have their power play back to where it usually is. I think they will have that lesson of, yeah, it's, it is, you know, if, if you play in the playoffs, if you play, everybody talks about a 60 minute game in the playoffs, if you play 59 minutes and 40 seconds, so you only, you know, you only lose concentration for 20 seconds. It still can go very wrong. And I think yesterday was a good example of exactly that. So now the Knights go into Kitchener, Kyle. And this is a team that, even though it's a Tuesday night, the Knights are in town. They will probably have close to 7,000 screaming fans there. They have been preaching patience where the Kitchener Rangers, kind of like, you know, London's Three losses in a row are very different than Kitchener's seven losses in a row. But Kitchener was looking at their team throughout all of this because Kitchener went into the holiday break. They had won six in a row. And then they came out. They had added a couple more bodies. They added Francesco or Curry before the break from the Kingston Frontenacs, very talented player. They added Danny Zilkin right after the holiday break from the Guelph Storm, very talented player. And the Kitchener Rangers have certainly made moves that say, even though they're battling for a playoff spot right now, they believe they have what it takes to make a run. And it might sound strange, but you look at their roster and you say, yeah, that's that's a roster that looks like it can make a run. Marco Costantini is their goalie. He won the OHL championship with the Hamilton Bulldogs last year. So you've got a Kitchener Rangers team that threw out those seven games was saying, we don't really get it. You know, we are doing... A lot of things well, and yet at the end of the game, the score is not what we expected it to be. The other team has won the game, and this happened after four games, and they just kept preaching patience. Just, okay, just patience, 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 and they finally go into Saginaw, and they find a way to win, and I think that's exactly what the Knights and Knights fans certainly need to do. Don't worry about something like this. Don't look and say, uh-oh, what's, what's gone wrong here? Nothing's gone wrong. You want to go through periods of adversity that make you look at your game and what's going on. And you've got to preach that patience that now they will get out of it. Now you've got to do it in that hostile atmosphere in Kitchener. But that makes it fun. Well, and that's exactly it. This is the time of year you want to be figuring things out. You don't want to be doing this in a few months time where the games matter a whole lot more. This is where you want to figure it out because now as a team, once they get out of this, you know, quote unquote funk that they're in, they now can go back on the experience later on in the season if this ever comes up again and goes, okay, we were here before. How do we get out of it? And that's where London can draw back to this experience. But you're right. It takes time. When you bring in new players, when you bring in Ryan Humphrey and Ryan Winterton into the into the mix and you move out a couple of players as well, it's not just an adjustment for the players that you have brought into the roster. It's also an adjustment for the current players on that roster because there's line juggling. You're playing with new people. You've been playing with these two line mates for the last two months, and now we're throwing you either on a different line with two players who are already on the team who you weren't playing with, or we brought in a brand new body that you've got to get um, you know, a little bit of uh, chemistry with, and, you know, it just, it's, it's an adjustment period. It takes time, but I would rather a team go through it now and figure it out than later on, right before the playoffs where you're sitting there panicking and you've got meaningful games on the way and you are 
throwing question marks left, right, and center. Absolutely. And that's, that is a big key. And that's why, you know, when you're cheering for a team, you want them to win every single time out. Why didn't they win this time out? But there is so much to learn from not winning and you need that adversity. You crave that adversity as a team. So if the Knights have a little bit of adversity through this right now, it's a good thing because then you wind up sorting it out. There is no concern over guys like Ryan Humphrey and Ryan Winterton because they've won. They're already conveying to players on the Knights, hey, here's what it was like in the third round. Here's what it was like in the OHL Championship Series. They've been telling stories. Ryan Winterton scoring yesterday right off the draw was a great sign because this guy just started playing this season yep. when he joined the London Knights. So it takes a little while to get up to speed. When he does, you know, he's going to be doing things like that on a regular basis. So I love things like this. I've been watching the London Knights for a long, long time. And teams that don't hit a spot of adversity, that's, you know, I was texting with Chris Pope yesterday, who is the analyst for the Kitchener Rangers on radio. And the Rangers were going into last night and they had lost seven in a row. And we were talking about that a little bit on the air. And, and Chris started to shoot us a couple of texts. And I said, you got to think back. There was a time in 1986, and I always love this story, for any team that goes through any kind of losing streak. So if you're a Leaf fan and all of a sudden the Leafs ream off, you know, a couple more losses and you think, uh-oh, what's going on? Think about 1986. The Calgary Flames were playing in a season that they would ultimately take all the way to the Stanley Cup final. So remember that. During that season, they had an 11-game losing streak. And in that 11-game losing streak, they lost to the Hartford Whalers twice. And their last loss in that losing streak was a 9-1 defeat at the hands of those Whalers. Not much got worse than losing 9-1 to the Hartford Whalers. Now, the Whalers weren't awful that year. They were a little above 500, but it was still the Whalers. They were just a team that usually provided you with a nice victory and two points. And that was what they went through 11 games in a row. So anybody who looks at any kind of losing streak and says, Oh, that signals it. Yep. That's the end of it. No, no, it isn't because that team went to the Stanley cup. And if it wasn't for a guy named Patrick Waugh in his rookie year, they probably would have won the Stanley cup that year. Yeah, you know, and and looking back as I go through the roster of that team, here are just a couple of the names that were a part of it. Al McKinnis was a part of that roster. I mean, you followed it very closely. Uh, uh, Dan Quinn was on the roster. Uh, you, you had uh, you had Lanny McDonald, who was the captain of that roster. Uh, you had just in a, a, quite a, a an assemblance of players, but you had two 70-point guys. You had three 60-point players. And yes, that team ended up making its way to the to the finals. Mike Vernon was a goaltender on that team at just 22 years of age. Now, he was a rookie at the time, and it was, uh, I believe it was Reggie uh, Lemelin was the starting yep. goaltender on that team. That was him. Wow, look at me going back to my 80s knowledge of hockey. But you know, that you're right. That team ended up going to the Stanley Cup final. But you can go through those losses and adversity and figure out how to fix the problem in those moments to better yourself in the future. Knights take on the Kitchener Rangers. We'll recap that later in the week on the podcast. We've been mentioning some hockey names that take us back into the 80s. How about a couple more? How about Dan Maloney? Dan Maloney was one of 
the player's name to the Don Brankley London Knights Hall of Fame, along with Rick Green. There's another name that takes yep. you back to the 80s. And Dennis Weidman. Well, we had an opportunity to talk with you. Ready for this? Here comes another great name, Dave Hutchison. We had an opportunity to talk wow. with Dave about Dan Maloney. And you want one of the best Dan Maloney stories? We'll end off the podcast with that. We lost Dan Maloney a couple of years ago, but his family is going to be in town on February the 8th to honor all three of those players as they are officially inducted into the Don Brankley London Knights Hall of Fame. So here is Dave Hutchison on Dan Maloney. Uh, he was just a gentle giant, a real, uh, real uh, kind of like a big brother to me, honestly. Uh, when I came to the Knights, uh, I was a 17 year old rookie and he was, uh, he was a veteran. Like he was 19 and, uh, he was, you know, one of the tougher guys in the league and he kind of took me under his wing, honestly. And, and, uh, you know, back then when fighting, uh, was condoned, uh, in the NHL, it was a big part of the game, intimidation. Uh, and so he really, he, he really handled me well, but as a, as a, a gentleman, uh, he was really a wonderful, wonderful guy and, uh, really two different people on and off the ice. When you look at what it was like to play at that time and the importance of having somebody like Dan Maloney who could do a lot, you know, offensively, could put pucks into the net. He had 31 goals as a knight in his second year. But the other element where the other team, you know, had to watch out, had to, had to know where he was at all times. What was it like learning from him in that way? Well, he, he protected the other players. Like, I remember back uh, uh, my first year, uh, Steve Durbano was a bad guy who played with the uh, Marlies, and he speared Daryl Siller right through his guts. I mean, I've never seen a cut on a on a, someone's stomach from a stick. But uh, anyway, Malone went right and chased him right out of the rink, right here in London Garden. Somebody's probably remember it back then, in the, back in 69, but he... Uh, Steve Durbano saw Malone coming after him, and he took off and went right out the dressing room, right into the dressing room. We never saw him again. But uh, it was it was important back then. And in uh, my first game in the NHL, I was um, I was drafted. So I played with Dan in London. I also played with him uh, with the LA Kings and the Toronto Maple Leafs. So we we have a lot of. Um, a lot of games together and a lot of a lot of real good times together but my very first game in the nhl we were playing we were opening up it was a season opener and it was in philadelphia it was uh, 74 and uh, they're hanging the batter banner that night the first year they won a cup they're hanging it and uh i the pr the public relations guy for the leafs or sorry for the kings and uh philadelphia flyers got into some whatever and um they come. The story is, I come up in the morning, uh, the newspaper. So we're getting ready to play the Philadelphia Flyers that night, and a guy throws me a newspaper. There's a picture of me on the front cover of the newspaper. I'm going to beat the bleep out of Dave Schultz. This is the opening paper of my very first game in the NHL. And and at any time, Hutch, do you remember saying anything never, like this? Never, never. <laughs> but the, P, the two PR guys from philly and in la our, our guy from la was saying oh yeah we got this new kid that we've signed here with the kings draft pick and and he's gonna be beat up dave schultz well i'm coming you know i see this in the morning i'm scared to death like this is good this is my first nhl game you can imagine if there's enough pressure and, and intensity going on so uh here i am uh 
can't sleep the afternoon of the game. All I'm thinking about is, oh, God, i got to go out here and fight Dave Schultz in my first game. Um, anyway, so I get down to the rink. Um, we come out for warm-up. Fans are pouring hot coffee on me as I'm coming through the aisle to go out to the ice. Now they have uh, canopies over to protect them from these kind of fans. But <laughs> back in 73... Uh, it wasn't like that in Philadelphia. They are rotten fans down there. They're very, very terrible. So anyway, uh, the game starts. Okay, So Dan Maloney is starting on left wing. Dave Schultz is starting on left wing for the Flyers. Puck goes in to the Flyers' end. Schultz is going back to get it. Here comes Malone like a freight train. He nails Schultz, drops him. They get up. They have a fist fight. This is the very first game of the uh, very first uh, shift of the game, and Malone lays a pounding on Dave Schultz, and that was the end of that. Wow. <laughs> Malone, my big brother, went out and took care of business. Very first shift, and Danny was one of the very toughest guys in the uh, in the NHL back then. He was a, a very good boxer. He had long arms and and a um, and a good job. So he uh, he was tough, but that's uh, that's I'll always remember that. Danny coming back to the bench after laying a pounding on Dave Schultz, and everybody's waiting for Schultz to get me. And it never happened. Never happened. He got traded to the LA Kings the next year, so we were teammates. <laughs> Schultz and I. They had enough of them. They got Paul Holmgren came in, who's going to be their their next tough guy. And uh, anyway, Schultz was out in LA, and we became teammates out there. So it never did happen after all the nonsense. It seems that we're talking with Dave Hutchison about Dan Maloney and loving hockey stories. Uh, it seems like Dan just had that ability to know what was going to happen and how to defuse a situation before it became a situation. Well, he just had to look at the other team. Like, he was real mean. Uh, he really, really was mean. And, uh, he scared. He scared people. And, um, you know, there wasn't anybody in the league that was as tough as him back then when I was with the Kings and, and with him, um, you know, with L.A., or I should say uh, in Toronto. You know, um, you know, we were going in Philadelphia where it always beat beat the crap out of the Leafs back then in the you know the early 70s. And then um, we get I get traded to Toronto. Um, Tiger Williams is there. Dan Maloney's there. And we're going into Philadelphia and we're scaring them. And, and um, you know, all of a sudden now, the Leafs are beating the, uh, the Flyers. Wow. So, it was, you know, it worked back then. That's the way <laughs> intimidation was a big part of the game back then. People don't understand it maybe right now. Like, you know, guys like me and Malone, we didn't, you know, Dan went in the very first round, like 8th or 10th or something like that, 14th overall in the first round. Not because he was a great skater, because he was a tough guy. And, and um, in the league, you know, it, it you needed it back then. And Dave, you're 6'3", and you would think Dan Maloney would be also 6'3". He was only 6'1", but had that presence that seemed to add inches. Yeah, he was he was as tall as I was, and uh, we were about the same size. He had, and he had long arms and big hands and uh, hit hard, and he studied boxing. He was a huge boxing fan, and his uh, Irish uh, background, you know, uh, of course, helped that. But uh, anyway, what a teammate he was, and, and uh, we lost a, a good man there at uh, way too early. Absolutely. Well, hey, we really appreciate you coming on talking about Dan. Dave, thanks for the stories, and Thank thanks you, for Sammy. the time. Anytime. You take care.
Imagine that happened today. I love the story about the PR guys from L.A. and Philadelphia getting together and talking in front of a reporter about how poor Dave Hutchison is going to beat up Dave Schultz, arguably the toughest guy in the NHL at that point. And then Dan Maloney, he diffused situations one way or another, and he came in and fixed everything. We'll hear some more stories from Rick Green and Dennis Weidman as we continue on with our next podcast. Kyle, will recap the Kitchener Rangers and the London Knights and then preview two more home games, the Owen Sound Attacker at Budweiser Gardens on Friday, and then it's a rematch, Knights yeah. and Rangers on Sunday. So two more home games coming up this weekend, and I can't wait. And the, the next three are all rivalry games too. So if there's a if there's a way for the London Knights to right the ship and get back into the win column, it's a pretty good time to do it. Going uh, into hostile environment Tuesday, and then two home games against two rivals. Can't wait! It's going to be fun. We'll talk. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah. Thanks, Stubbs.